When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Uh, I figured since I'm not going to be there on Monday, I would record a review for the quiz just in case um, people thought they needed it. So um, we'll do this. So once again, I'm not there on Monday. I've got some kid stuff to handle. Um, you can use your book. You can use, well, you don't have a book, but you can, it's an open book, open note thing. I, I just say that. Uh, just no devices. Okay. So no phone, no Googling of stuff and whatnot. Alrighty, so this quiz is going to cover Congress, the President, and the bureaucracy. Uh, there's 25 questions on it. They're all multiple choice, so uh, hopefully it's not too too taxing for you. All right, let's get going with the review. First off, some basics for Congress. Um, let's compare the the Senate and the House. So uh, the Senate, remember, is based on equality. There are two senators for every state, versus the House, where it is based on population. And so it varies from state to state. The largest state is California with 53 House members. Smallest state only has one. And there's a couple of those that have only one, such as Alaska, North Dakota, South Dakota, places like that. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the House represents a district. So uh, every state's broken up into districts, except for those with one. Then they just represent the whole state. And the Senate represents the whole state. You have to be 25 to be a House member. You have to be 30 to be a senator. Seven years a citizen for the House. Nine years a citizen for the Senate. You have to live in the state that you're going to run in. You don't have to live in the district if you're a House member, but it does help because your opponent will use that against you if you do not um, live in district. District. All right. Uh, I think that's... The big ones. Okay. Leadership is next up. So remember the, the speaker of the house is probably the most important legislative position out there because they have the most power. Uh, they run the house and don't get it mixed up because there is no speaker of the Senate. There is a majority minority leader over there uh, that runs things, but there's no speaker of the, the, the Senate like there is in the house. So the speaker of the house at the moment is Nancy Pelosi. And so she does, um, she, she runs the, the house. Um, really pushes the Democratic agenda because the Democrats are the majority right now. Uh, but anybody can you know, introduce legislation, so it's not just her. But she will push the legislation that she wants to push. Uh, she gets to make a lot of choices with that. Um, the next up is the majority-minority leader on the House. Never realize how long that bell is until I sit here and listen to it, wait for it to end. Uh, okay, so the majority leader in the House is the right-hand person of the Speaker of the House. They really don't have any specific responsibilities. They're just going to help the Speaker uh, with the agenda, <coughs> make sure that the the party is voting how they're supposed to and taking care of what they're supposed to. That you know, they'll they'll help with all the tasks, the picking out of committee members, the picking out uh, picking out of 
um, committee leadership and all those sorts of things. So they do help and assist, but there's not really any specified, hey, you're going to do this. The minority leader can't do much. They don't have much power. They really have no authority because the, on the House side, the majority really does rule. All right. And there's not really, you know, in the Senate, you've got the filibuster and things like that. You don't have that on the, the Senate side. I mean, on the House side, excuse me. Uh, and then you've got the whips. They're the ones that are kind of the go-betweens between the regular old uh, Congress people and the leadership. Now, on the Senate side, you got the majority leader and the minority leader. They're supposed to kind of work together, but we've kind of got to the system where we don't like each other. And so the majority party leader really just runs things. Okay. Uh, and I, well, I shouldn't say runs things, but they get to push the agenda of the majority party. And the minority party is supposed to have some input, but they don't have as much as, um, you know, probably they would like to. All righty. Uh, all right. Redistricting. So this is the stuff about uh, gerrymandering and stuff like that. So remember, there's a process every 10 years after the, uh, the census and we get some new population numbers where they reapportion the numbers in the House. So based on, you know, the numbers that come back from the Senate, uh, some states will gain people, some states will lose people uh, in the House. That number 435 is set. Uh, that will not change unless we add states and stuff like that. So because a state has lost population, they will lose seats in the House potentially. Uh, and if a state gains seats, then they, that means they've gained population. So that's reapportionment. Uh, and not every state's going to go through that. Now, redistricting is something that every state can do because of the population shifts within their, their state. So Georgia, you know, we're seeing a shift to the metro area from the rural areas. So the rural area districts are going to get bigger, in theory, and the metro areas are going to shrink because there's more people moving in here. That's redistricting. And every state does it. And you especially have to do it if you lose seats or gain seats. You have to redistrict. And that can lead to gerrymandering, which is the, you know, making it, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, drawing the lines how you want. And it's the state legislature that does that, remember. Uh, and so whichever party is in charge, uh, they want to stay in charge. And so they're going to try and draw the, the lines with some advantages. Now, we talked about some court cases, and we'll talk about them later on in this review, um, about the, the fact that, you know, you, you, there's some things you can't do when you're redrawing these lines. But gerrymandering does happen. It is legal. Uh, however, it can be challenged, uh, and the Supreme Court can make decisions about it. All right, next up, how a bill becomes a law. So a bill is introduced, and I, this is going to be the snapshot version here. Uh, the bill is introduced. It goes to a committee. The committee works on it, does what they want to with it. It could come out completely different. They vote on it. If they vote favorably, it goes to the full House or Senate floor. They talk about it, vote on it. If it passes, it goes to the other side. It goes to the same process, introduced, committee, work done, introduced to the full House, full floor, Senate floor, debate, vote. If it's the same bill, then it goes to the president. If it is any kind of differences, they will have a conference committee that will get together and try and work out the differences. So let's say it's a spending bill. And the House passes a version that says we're going to spend $50 million, And the Senate passes a bill that says we're going to spend $30 million. So conference committee will get together. Maybe that's pretty easy. Let's meet in the middle and let's spend $40 million and be done with it. They pass it. It goes back for a vote and it goes to the president. Okay. So that's the quick version of how a bill becomes a law. Uh, committees. So the two big committees. Uh, remember the, the there's a standing committee. Uh, and that's 
on both sides, have standing committees. The most important one, the most powerful one, maybe not the most important one, but the most powerful one is the Rules Committee because they get to do a lot of things that are going to affect uh, our bills that go through the House. And they get to you know, set the agenda for it, set the debate schedule for it, and things like that. So it's a pretty big deal. And then the Conference Committee, we just talked about, so I'm not going to spend any more time uh, on that. Okay. All right. The Congress does have checks on the president. Uh, remember, they can do all sorts of things uh, to the president. They have to, and, and I say Congress, but remember, most of this is the Senate. Um, the Senate, they have to approve all appointments that the president makes to ambassadorships, to the courts, whether it's a lower federal court or the Supreme Court, um, you know, anything like that. We're, we're having one going on right now. Uh, that's happening. So that, they can do that. And remember, we talked about how they can dictate who the president is going to, to pick by coming out and saying, hey, we're not going to vote for that person. We're not going to confirm that person. Uh, treaties, all treaties have to be signed or agreed to by the, uh, what you call it, the Senate. Uh, they can impeach the president. Remember, the impeachment process is the House draws up the articles of impeachment. They vote on it. Simple majority gets that over to the Senate. The Senate has the trial where it takes two-thirds uh, of the Senate to kick someone actually out of office. Uh, they can override a presidential veto. They control the purse, the money. So uh, they have a lot of things that the president, over the president, that the president can't do. All right, next up is the roles of the president. You did a little project on this, so hopefully you're pretty familiar with all those roles. You had chief executive, uh, chief diplomat, commander-in-chief, chief legislature, uh, head of the party, chief economist, and uh, head of the state, okay? So those are the roles. Within them, there were a few things that you need to be sure uh, you understand, okay? Uh, first off, the president has a couple powers under the chief executive, okay? It's probably where they spend most of their time is under the chief executive, and that's where they're going to be the ones enforcing the laws. And a couple things you should have added to your, your examples that you were finding. Uh, the two big ones are the pardoning power and the executive orders, all right? First off, the president can pardon people for federal crimes. They cannot pardon people for state crimes. That's, uh, they're not able to do that. But if you commit a federal crime uh, and you know the president feels sorry for you, you can be pardoned by the president. The next thing is the executive order. <clears throat> and uh, people get kind of mixed up with the executive order. So you know, please just be sure you understand it. Uh, it has the force of law, but it's not really truly a law, okay? Uh, basically, the executive order is a directive to one of the bureaucratic agencies that we have been looking at the last few days in class, all right? So the president signs it, creates it, it goes to the bureaucratic agency, they enforce it. That's why it has the rule of law, or excuse me, the force of law because it has gone to an agency that has some of those powers, some of those abilities to uh, enforce whatever it might be, okay? Uh, so that's why it does that. So don't think that, oh, well, this thing's now a law. It's just an enforceable action uh, by the bureaucratic agencies. Sometimes maybe they choose to ignore it. You know, it depends on how they feel uh, and who's supporting the president or not supporting the president there. But the executive orders are for domestic stuff. They're typically not going to affect things that are outside of this country. They're typically going to be uh, for agencies that are here. My 
favorite one is, I know it's weird to say, yeah, favorite executive order, uh, but uh, the one I like the best is Truman after World War II. Uh, he created an executive order where they integrated the barracks uh, of the military. So no longer were they going to have you know, black and white barracks, but everybody to be together. Um, so uh, they have gone up in use a lot because one of the key things is they get around Senate approval. The Senate does not have to approve them. Now, the Senate can or the Congress as a whole can do things. If the president creates an executive order that they don't like, um, they can always find a way to get it challenged and the Supreme Court might declare it unconstitutional or Congress could just go ahead and write up a law that, uh, you know, that that counteracts uh, the that executive order. All right. The next thing is the executive agreements. Don't get these confused. This happens in the chief diplomat rule role. And these are when the president is dealing with foreign countries. The president might want to get around, to, you know, had Woodrow Wilson thought about this, he could have made the, the treaty with Germany at the end of World War One an executive agreement and got that thing signed. But he didn't, and uh, so it never got passed. But the executive agreement is just basically a treaty with another country, but it does get around the Senate approval part. So if the president wants to be sneaky, uh, they can use that. Uh, Vetoes. So the president can veto legislation. I think everybody's familiar with this. They can also use something called the pocket veto, which was on your uh, extra stuff there. So hopefully you were able to figure that out. Uh, This happens when Congress sends the president an item, and then they're going to adjourn. If they have adjourned, then the president can let it sit there and it dies. Okay. So basically there's a 10 day window. So if Congress is adjourning today, Friday, the 25th of March, uh, and they had sent the president something on Monday, the 21st, the president didn't want to sign it, but he also didn't want to run the risk of Congress overriding a veto, then he could just let it sit. And as soon as Congress goes out of session, that dies. That's what a pocket veto is. All right, the civil service, we talked about this the other day. Remember, this is working for the government. It was reformed by the Pendleton Act. Remember, the Pendleton Act set it up to where you have to pass that civil service exam and you're going to get hired, you're going to get promoted based on your merit, not based on who you know. Uh, also, out of the bureaucracy from the other day, we did the Hatch Act. It wasn't on your paper, but we added it. Remember, that is to limit what bureaucratic agents can do while they're in their job. Now, outside of their job, they can you know, do what they want to, but they're not supposed to use their position to politic for and help and assist one politician over the other. Uh, there was a couple of different <coughs> agencies we talked about. You had the government corporation. Remember, that is the one uh, that's a government-run business. You had the independent executive agencies, the independent regulatory commissions, and the uh, cabinet. So executive agencies, those are outside. They, they're, they're part of the they're kind of part of the, the presidency, uh, but they're kind of also outside of the presidency to an extent. Uh, they kind of do their own thing. All righty. Uh, the big difference is regulatory agencies, remember, they can regulate stuff. So they can come in and they can uh, do stuff versus just enforcing you. Remember, all these agencies, they have rulemaking ability. So the EPA gets directives from the president. They get directives from Congress <clears throat> about how to protect the nation's environment, but they can make choices. They can make decisions about how they how they do that. Alrighty. So that's their rulemaking uh, ability. So if the EPA gets something uh, about, um, whatever, I don't know, just anything, uh, they can take a look at it and they can say, Hey, we should do this with it. 
versus what it says in the in the in the in the, in the bill. Uh, Fed 70. So you read through Fed 70 with your partners. Remember, the overarching theme of Fed 70 is we need a strong, energetic president. Um, <clears throat> Hamilton is arguing for a single president um, versus a you know a group <clears throat> and all the different things that can uh, benefit from having one president versus a couple of different people and also having that strong presidency versus having a weak presidency. That's the overarching thing. Uh, last couple of things here, Baker versus Carr and Shaw versus Reno. Remember Baker versus Carr. This was not a gerrymandering case, but it falls into our gerrymandering stuff because it deals with redistricting. Remember, uh, the decision there was that districts need to be kept as equal as possible. So one person, one vote, uh, and making sure everybody is equally represented as possible. So that's why we have numbers. We try to hit uh, somewhere about 760,000 or so people per district. Shaw versus Reno was a gerrymandering case. Remember, it happened up in North Carolina, <clears throat> and it dealt with the uh, North Carolina had redrawn uh, a predominantly African-American district, and it was called into question, and the Supreme Court is going to say, hey, yeah, that's a weirdly drawn district. You've packed in African-American voters uh, enough to, to kind of say, hey, that's you're trying to pack in people, and remember, you can't do that. You know, that's one of the things the Supreme Court has consistently ruled on is you can't draw lines along racial uh, along racial lines, okay, or demographics, whatever you want to call it. Uh, last thing, and I can't read my writing, so let me go back to look to see what I'm trying to talk about. Uh, oh, okay, the filibuster and the and cloture. Uh, so the filibuster, I should have talked about this earlier, but uh, obviously it's later on in the quiz. So um, remember, the filibuster is a Senate-only thing. It's because they have an unlimited debate. You can talk about, discuss an issue as much as you want to. Sometimes it's called talking a bill to death, but remember you're mainly just trying to um, delay action on the bill so that the, the majority party really has to question, hey, how long can we spend on this one thing and miss out on all the stuff that's back there that has to get done as well. Uh, so that's the, the goal of it. Uh, you did a, a handout on this. Uh, it's still on E-Class. Um, if you want to take a look at that, it has some information about it. Remember, you can end a filibuster with a cloture vote. You need 60 people in the House, in the Senate, excuse me, this is a Senate only thing, to uh, to get rid of a, a, a filibuster. So it is doable, but it, that is a pretty big number, 60 out of the 100. All right, guys, uh, if you have questions, uh, I will be around. Feel free to text me Sunday afternoon whenever uh, you listen to this, um, and I'll answer them as best I can. Best of luck on the quiz. I'll see you on Tuesday. Don't forget your blog is due Tuesday night, so get that link into the Dropbox. Your comments, if you have to do those, are due by Thursday night, so be sure you take care of that. And the AP Classroom FRQ is open and due uh, at some point, so be sure you get that. It's due next Friday the 1st. Sorry, I, I knew a date, but I forgot. Guys, as always, uh, best of luck, and uh, if I can help you out, let me know. Later, guys.